Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. My name is Chris Rawl. Thank you for joining me on this very fine Tuesday. If you have not signed up for my newsletter, please go and do that. I have a website. It's easy to remember. It is chrisrawl.com. If you go there and click the subscribe button in the top right-hand corner, put your email address in, and voila, every Wednesday morning, like magic out of thin air, you'll be getting a missive from me. It will be free. It will be about sports. Sometimes it may be funny. Sometimes it may not be funny. But in the end, I think that you will enjoy it if you enjoy listening to this show. So please go and do that. Thank you. And let's talk today about aging athletes and the old course at St. Andrews. I have officially entered into the groove of the off season. It's kind of funny. My life is like, it's like the cycles of the moon, you know, and they're traced around sports. And so when it's football season and hockey season, I'm in deep every day with gambling and information and watching the games and all the stuff that I love to do because it's just part of my life. And then there's this gap that we have entered into that usually encompasses all of July and all of August where those things are gone and suddenly I have a reasonable amount of time that used to be dedicated in those areas that just exists. And so I go and I play golf and sometimes I play more golf and other times I go, hmm, what am I going to do? And usually how it works is I lean more into the creative things that I like and that I do, but not as extensively during sports season than now, which is reading a lot and writing a lot and playing guitar and just thinking about various things that pertain to those things and to sports and to other things in life, you know, just the get the creative juices flowing within my brain and see where they kind of take me. Now, football and hockey being gone, it opens up the doors for other things. At the same time, I don't have to sit here and weep and cry about football and hockey being gone because, yeah, they're gone for the time being, but I know that they're going to be back. You know, college football starting at the end of August. We got an incredible week zero showdown with Nebraska Northwestern getting booted out to Ireland because the football that they play is too hideous for American soil. And so we rudely sent them overseas to be a blight on the entire European continent. But that's, you know, what, seven-ish weeks from now. Um, and then a month after that, hockey will be back. Colorado Avalanche will be back on the ice. Defending Stanley Champs will be fired up, all that kind of stuff. I don't have to sit here and go, I'm never going to be able to watch these things again. Now, the flip side of that is within these cycles of things in my life that come back and sometimes they're not here and then they come back and all the things I mentioned, they're going to be back. You know, I cannot read or write for a while and I know that I will return eventually to that. I cannot play guitar for a month and I know that I'm going to return to it because it's something that I like to do. Within sports, the the sports themselves are always going to return, but the teams and the players within those, that's kind of a different story. That's a lot of what I've been thinking about recently, spurred by the British Open being this week and a lot of the hullabaloo surrounding Tiger Woods and kind of just this essentially open-ended question that his career has become. Post-car crash, his leg, one leg is half the size of the other. Everything he does, it seems like, uh, you don't, maybe you shouldn't be doing this because it seems like you're always in pain. And so now I've been thinking, you know, just about the, the basic truth of life uh, that, you know, you never really know when something that is even a small part of your life or a really integral part of your life is suddenly going to be gone, you know? I mentioned on last show, just one of the meditation techniques that I really have been enjoying lately. And, and I think it's probably been spurred on by this particular thought and just this maybe conscious awareness of, hmm, you never know when things are gone. So maybe 
savor them and, and be thankful for them a little bit more than I tend to be on a day-to-day basis. You know, when is the last time that I'm going to do this activity? All right, treat it like that. When is the last time I'm going to hang out with this person? Okay, l- treat it like that. You know, a lot of people go in and out of my life on a day-to-day basis. And if you're always looking at those interactions through that lens, this is the last time I'm doing this with this person. Seems a lot richer and you give yourself over a lot more fully than just going through the motions. That's one of the things that I like about that particular thought is morbid as it may sound, you know, it kind of goes back to something that I really believe firmly within my own life about being intentional with how I am spending my time and who I'm spending it with. That's something I've always really gravitated towards. It's gotten even stronger and stronger as time has gone on. And I go, no, 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 no. I'm not here to just go through the motions. If I'm committing and doing something, it's because I want to do that thing and I'm going to give it my full attention. Because for me, um, attention and where it is placed is one of, if not the greatest things that I have at my disposal. That's just a personal belief. Others may disagree. The way that I go about my business and what I value in others is that particular facet. Hey, if you're doing this with me, you know, you better be engaged because I am here for a reason. It's because I want to be doing this with you or I want to be doing this activity solo. So I shouldn't be sitting and watching a random hockey game on a February night just because it's going through the motions. There's got to be a reason, a draw that that is happening. Sports, I mean, I, I return to that again and again and again because there are so many things, many of which I have talked about on this show over all these episodes that I've done that just continually bring me back to that particular source of, ooh, my attention's peaked, you know? This is an intentional way that I'm spending my time. There's a reason that I'm watching this NFL game on a Sunday. There's a reason that I'm watching this Nebraska Northwestern game in, in Ireland the, the first week of, or the last week of August. So maybe a little less aware of this uh, concept or in my earlier years, but just hyper aware of it over the last decade. Just, hey, be intentional about how you're spending your time and who you're spending it with, you know? Now, along with that, there's just an awareness that time is finite. I think that's probably why I value time so much. Again, the more older I grow, the more I tend to value it because I go, oh, I've seen things go in and out of my life and I'm much more aware that, you know, nothing that exists here is going to last to infinity. So that's threaded into the experience of being a fan, being person who follows sports closely, person who really loves sports, you know? So you want your team to win a championship. Everybody wants that. Sometimes we grind ourselves into dust wanting it, which is crazy and, and, and thrilling and depressing and all of the, all of the emotions. It's just, that's a really easy to understand tenement of being a fan. Just, Hey, it's fun watching this team. And also I want them to win because in some weird, strange, non-logical way, a little piece of that championship feels like it's mine. Now, the older that I've gotten, that has not become the number one thing that draws me to following an athlete or a team, which it was definitely in my youth. This understanding of time being finite and this understanding that, hey, I'm spending my time watching these games or these athletes play, and there's a reason behind that, has opened this door into, I think the number one thing that I want and that I value is just watching them play period you know hockey will stretch on to infinity but you're only going to have a smallish window with this particular player or this particular 
iteration of a team. You never really know when things are going to end. There's a really good uh, moment in my life where this probably kind of crystallized. It it stood out over years. I've talked about Peter Forsberg before. He's the person who drew me to hockey. He's my favorite player of all time. Uh, when the Quebec Nordiques at the time moved to Denver, Colorado and became the Avalanche in 1995, that's the moment that got me into hockey because they were then my local team. They started getting broadcast on Fox Sports Rocky Mountain. And Peter Forsberg's the player that immediately jumped out on the ice. Me and all my little buddies, we all became huge Peter Forsberg's fans. We'd run around and go, this guy's incredible. And Forsberg was, he was just really unique in how he played hockey. He was so freaking good, but the way that he played was just different from everybody. He was a bowling ball on skates. He was a person who sought out violence in every way, shape, and form, no matter what was happening. He would have the puck on his stick, and he was seeking people out to try and obliterate them. It's, again, pretty much unlike anybody I've ever seen as far as the way that they go about their business playing hockey. He's just constantly the aggressor and at the same time was one of the best players in hockey. Dude won an MVP trophy, you know? Now, his downfall was just he couldn't really stay healthy because of this style of play. So he comes into my life in that year, 1995, huge, huge, huge. I can't even describe how big of a fan of Peter Forsberg I was and still am. So I have roughly a decade there where we're watching avalanche games. They win two Stanley Cups. They're making the playoffs every year. It's just, it's, it's as good of a window as you could ask for to get somebody interested in hockey, which was my story in my youth. Now, 2004, he's been going through injuries, 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 injuries. 2004 ends up being his last season in Colorado for the time being because they trade him to Philadelphia Flyers and it comes out of left field. And I was just like stunned and sad and bummed out because this had just been a person who was always there when I watched hockey on my favorite team, favorite player, you know, the drill. So now I'm 18 at the time and I'm going, Oh, well this is, Hmm. This is something I'm not necessarily used to because this team has just always been here. Forsberg's been here. Waz has been here. Sackick's been here. And now suddenly my favorite player is on a different team. Now he goes, you know, he wanders in the wilderness with Philadelphia. He gets traded to Nashville. He's again, battling injuries every single year, getting hip surgery, surgically repaired ankles, all the whole kit and caboodle. And right at the tail end of his career, he gets traded back to Colorado in 2008. So it's four year gap. I watch Peter Forsberg play on the avalanche. Every time I'd watch him play on Philadelphia or Nashville, it would genuinely just make me sad because all I wanted in my mind was just. I have this image of Forsberg's an Av, and he's always balling out on the Avalanche. And now it's my brain can't compute that he's on these other teams. So he comes back, and it was just he was a shell of himself physically, and it was just kind of the reunion tour of like, all right, you know, you're coming back home because this is how it should be. And nobody really had any expectations because he couldn't really play because he was just constantly his body was deteriorating. It was pretty much done. But still, even then, in that season, right at the end, he plays nine games in the regular season. He has 14 points in those games because every time he laced up the skates, there was just some drive within Peter Forsberg that was almost psychopathic where he knew he didn't have a body, but it was like, I'm lacing up. I don't care. <laughs> You're getting everything that I have, and I'm going to go run people down, and I'm going to make the most incredible passes you'll ever see. And that's just the way that he played. He couldn't ever turn that off. So the Avs make the playoffs that year. This is when they're on the downslope of being good and contender. So I'm excited. They're back in the playoffs and it's cool. And they play the wild in the first round and it's tied two two going back to Minnesota for game five and Forsberg turns back the clock. Somehow he has two assists in that game five, huge pivotal win. And I remember that game and especially game six. So the abs are now up three, two in the series. They're going back home chance to clinch the first round. And it was just, everybody was just bloodthirsty because 
the Avs really hadn't had success in a couple of years. And now suddenly you got a chance to advance the second round. And right at the forefront of this was this reunion with Peter Forsberg, where all of us were just like, oh, I didn't ever think I was going to see this again. I didn't think I was going to see Peter Forsberg in an avalanche jersey. And I definitely did not think I would see Peter Forsberg in an avalanche jersey doing anything on a hockey rink because we just assumed he would have to retire. Game six, he, he, his stat line's funny. Like, I have just such a weird perception of that game compared to what the box score was, which was just, you know, he played 18 minutes, no goals, no assists. But what he was doing in that game, I just remember was everything Peter Forsberg, just get, give me the puck on my stick and I will drive to the net and nobody is going to stop me except for the goalie. And I'm just going to run through bodies. And there was all these moments within the game where it was just like, I can't believe that I am being able to watch this thing that I thought was completely gone from my life. So that was a really cathartic moment is probably the best way to describe it. Of just like, this is incredible. This is just like a bone that life threw me that I didn't necessarily think I was going to get. And it made me really aware of, hey, I probably should go out of my way in the moment to say and to think and to experience watching athlete X, Y, or Z or team X, Y, or Z and go, hmm. This is really cool, even if this probably is going to end in a loss because that's how it works. This is really cool, and I'm not sure when it's going to end. I've talked about that a lot with my two favorite athletes presently, Aaron Rodgers and LeBron James, and just really being aware over the last couple of years of like, guys are old, and it's pretty crazy that they can still perform at this level. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is winning MVPs. LeBron won a title and was finals MVP two years ago, and they're still, whenever they step on the field or the basketball court, they perform as well as anybody. This is insane. And everybody's concerned about, we got to win a championship. We got to win another championship. And obviously I want that, that it sucks when the Packers lose to the Niners or the Lakers just don't do anything. Don't even make the playoffs because their team is bad. At the same time, I become more cognizant and more intentional about just going, you know what? Sometimes just being able to watch these guys play at this high of a level, this late in their career is going to be enough. And maybe that's just the way it's going to be. So, That's a very long introduction into the only sporting event of the next two months that is really going to be awesome. The British Open. It's the 150th British Open. Pretty crazy history that goes into this tournament, which there's a really solid case to be made. It's the greatest golf tournament in the world. And coincidentally enough, this year's rotation falls on the old course at St. Andrews, where they play every five years now, which is maybe the most iconic golf course in the world. Um, and it's a kind of a great nexus point to reflect on these particular themes, this aging arcs, uh, just the way that we watch and what we watch for and, and golf's kind of strange and crazy to examine as a sport because aging arcs within this sport don't mirror other sports. You know, Bill Mickelson's winning the PGA championship last year, age 50. I mean, this particular tournament, the British Open, Tom Watson comes just within a sliver of winning the 2009 Open at age 59. You know, he makes a par on the 72nd hole. He wins at age 59 against the very best players in the world, most of whom comprise the age range of 20s and 30s, because you can exist within the world of golf for a long time, but still at its core, you're going to have natural advantages with youth and flexibility and strength. But golf, you know, it still provides an opportunity. It provides all these different avenues to get to the same source, which is can you compete within a tournament? Again, something I freaking love about playing it. 
something that I love about watching it. I think sports are at their very best when that is incorporated. Just a, a diversity of styles and skills that can succeed and you can find success with at the highest possible level. So amidst all of this, you know, this 150th Open, played at the most iconic golf course, the biggest thing that's currently going in golf is on the controversial side which I've spoken about in numerous episodes, PGA Tour against Live, and everybody's battling for the soul of golf. And I've spoken, I don't really even like where, what both of these organizations are doing. I don't think that the game and the sport has uh, two organizations looking out for it with the game and its best interests in their hearts. I think there's a lot of other different things that are going on as it pertains to PGA Tour versus Live. So many things going on. And now Tiger Woods enters the fray because... His career is, again, basically an open-ended question mark. He plays since the car crash. This will be the third tournament that he's actually officially entered into. Masters, PGA, he skipped the U.S. Open. And now he is coming back to the best tournament at the most iconic golf course. And we're watching the career of the greatest golfer of all time just also come to this nexus point, you know. And, and we've kind of been here before, if you think about it. You go back to his scandal over a decade ago and the decade between that and his 2019 masters win, there's a million different open-ended questions that occurred during that time frame. where it was just like, who knows if you're ever going to see anything approaching the dominance of the late nineties, the early two thousands, just this channeling of things we've never really seen on a golf course. He's struggling with off the course stuff. He's struggling with on the course stuff. He's got the chip yips. He can't do this. He can't do that. And then suddenly it culminates in this just incredible moment that for a lot of people kind of mirrors what I was talking about with Peter Forsberg. Just holy shit, this thing is happening that we never really knew would happen again. And suddenly it's the back nine on Sunday and Tiger has somehow come into the lead and he's on hole 12 and it's suddenly starting to crystallize of like, okay, this is more than just a story. This is something that can legitimately happen. And then it's coming down the stretch and, you know, it's happening. And then you got the car crash. And now this time feels a little bit different because, yes, we've been through all these things. But there comes a certain point with the human body where you're just like, uh, this might be too big of a hill to climb. You know, Peter Forsberg, think of that. So Tiger entered into a similar realm where his future is as unknown as unknown is going to get. Yet. He's here, you know, we're seeing stuff. He's out playing golf over overseas. He's just talking about what makes this course so special, what makes this event so special. Just And he's talking about a lot of the stuff that I wish professional golf would lean into. This goes back to the PGA Tour and the live stuff, how tournaments are set up and what you want to encourage from golfers and how you want to create a field where everybody can compete within this. Tiger's usually at the forefront of just talking about this very uh, specifically and knowledgeably. And I actually want to share something that I came across uh, that pertains to this part of Tiger. And, it, and it's weird to hear Tiger always talk about this. Course conditioning, uh, the way that a setup can really encourage creativity and just bring out the best in golfers themselves, but also a product for people to watch. And it's weird that he is continually trumpeting this. And yet the organizations that run golf events don't necessarily look at it in the same way, except for the open. So this is an excerpt. It comes from a, like a short documentary. It's called Chronicles of a Champion Golfer. 
I want to read some things that Tiger was saying about the old course and about the British Open that I think are really cool and will probably set the stage really well for us as we go to watch it over the course of this week. I realize the old course can present so many different ways to play it. You have to open up your mind to it. I started to do that. I started to open up my mind to how the balls could bounce, how the angles I could take, holes that I could cut off and kind of cheat and get a better angle down certain sides to get into flags, other holes where I just had to bail and be conservative, and especially learning just how the game is so dramatically different. Let Mother Nature dictate it, and you have to try and figure it out. You play one type of golf here in the States, where basically everything is airborne. Everything is airborne. The ground is never your friend. You're always trying to carry bunkers, carry water. Place it on top of shelves, make it stop. It's just, how high can you hit it? Then once you get around the greens, it's just, here, give me my lob wedge. Give me my lob wedge. Give me my lob wedge. Hack out of the rough. That kind of stuff. It's always the same shots. When you play Lynx golf, it's not. Look at the players who have done really well there. Watson has won there five times. Lee Trevino had a great run. Jack Nicholas had a great run. You know, Jack's short game may not have been at the highest level, but the guy thought his way around the golf course better than anyone else. So he was able to amass a great record there. End quote. A lot of good stuff within that that again frustrates me to no end that it falls on deaf ears or people that could actually truly make a difference in how golf is packaged as a product and in turn what that brings out of individual golfers themselves, how a field can separate from one another and how a million different skill sets can thrive because of all the different ways that you can go about picking a golf course apart. So that's on the play side. Again, a, a huge reason that I'm very fired up for this tournament every time it comes around and even more so because of the course that it's being played at this year. The old course of St. Andrews is just badass as a golf course can get. So now I'm fired up about that. And at the same time, I, I saved something from the Masters this year. It was after Tiger had played there again, his first tournament back since the car crash where he just ground his way to make the cut. And it just, it was from a physical perspective, it looked brutal. He's limping around and it just everything he was doing looked like it hurt. And it was also kind of awe-inducing for just this guy can channel something in his mind that I can't fathom. Golf is the most mental sport ever. If I have a hangnail, it affects the way that I play. There's just, it's not a sport that you have little physical ailments and you just go, ah, it's cool. I'll just play through it in a way that you can in other sports because you can compensate. The golf swing is so specific and the tiniest, most minuscule changes in anything, just the way that your back feels, a little something in your hand, your elbow, just there's so many things within the kinetic chain of a swing that can go wrong because just one little piece is off. So you're watching him grind his way through that. And I was just like, okay, this is incredible. And Kevin Van Valkenburg, who works for ESPN, he wrote a big thing after that week, the week of the masters was about tiger. And I'd saved a couple excerpts and I hadn't had the correct time to use them. And now as we're going into this week and I'm thinking about just the aging athlete and what you want to get out of the thing you are spending your time on, whether that's you're the active participant, whether you are a viewer and all the reasons that kind of bind those two spheres together. I save these excerpts that I think are really cool and just really enlightening in the context of today's show. So I'm going to read them now. And again, this is from Kevin Van Valkenburg of ESPN, and it was written the week of this year's masters. What is clear 
after watching the 15-time major champion this past weekend at the Masters, is he is going to keep trying. He is willing to endure whatever pain the future has in store, just to keep trying. And while no one knows for certain what truly motivates him at this point in his life, the twilight of Tiger Woods' career seems to have little to do with ambition or legacy. He's instead carrying on for one final act because of something that mostly eluded him throughout his career. He is, at long last, having fun. It seems like a strange thing to write about arguably the most ruthless competitor the sport has ever seen. At the height of Woods' powers, it felt like he would go an entire week at a major and barely make eye contact with anyone. He lived in his own private universe, singularly driven, determined to never show even a hint of vulnerability. But surviving a car crash a little more than a year ago, one that nearly cost him his right leg, seems to have inspired Woods to view whatever golf he has left in a different light. Thankful, Woods said Sunday night, smiling when asked what his biggest takeaway would be from his week. I keep saying it, but I am. I really am. I truly am. He seems aware, now more than ever, that he will always be a vessel for so many people's hopes, that he represents something bigger than himself every time he tees up a golf ball at a major championship. But it feels fair to say that Tiger Woods is more at peace with that burden than he has ever been. He does not need to dominate the world of golf in order to be happy or to feel complete. Not anymore. But he would like to keep playing anyway. He wants to savor whatever he has left. And watching him limp his way around Augusta this weekend, shaping shots, trickling in putts, and grinning like he was grateful just to be walking again, you couldn't help but want the same. End quote. So whether that stuff is true or not, I mean, it's kind of impossible to know whether at Tiger Woods's core, he's like, you know what? This is enough. What I have is enough. Yes, I am the most ruthless competitor that's ever existed within this sport. And I used to just grind everybody into nothing. I would stare them down and mother F them and mother F this. And that's the way that I went about my business. And it led me to 15 majors and a hell of a lot more PGA Tour wins. And now I can't necessarily do that because my physical skills have diminished greatly <laughs> for a lot of reasons, most recently being blasting a car at whatever speed and breaking his legs and almost losing one. Only he can really truly know whether this, this idea of, you know what, I'm just thankful to be here. And you know what, I'm here to savor whatever I have left in the tank because you never really know when this stuff goes. Only he knows if that's true. But reading those things, really, really, really uh, resonate with me and how I personally want to exist as a human being. Whether I am the active participant and saying, you know what, sometimes I'm going to be complete shit on the golf course, but hey, don't know how long you have in life. Don't know how long you can actually golf, depending on whatever happens to you physically, mentally. Uh, and so maybe today is just about I'm out here enjoying myself because this is what the day's thrown at me. It kind of threads a theme that I love within life of just, you can't control a lot of things, um, but you can control how you react to things. And so Tiger, some of this stuff that happened, it was, you know, just random chance. Some of it was, he was an active participant and that's why he is how he is now, but he's reached the point of, eh, you know, I don't know what my career is going to be moving forward. And so the two things that I need to concentrate on are, I'm thankful to be a part of anything right now and I'm going to savor whatever's left. I really do like love those things. And so now we get to the open this week and, and Tiger playing at it and just a variety of other much more talented golfers at this point in their careers who have much more capable bodies. 
And I'm thinking about all this stuff and, you know, we got the finest tournament in the world being played at the finest golf course in the world with the greatest golfer of all time playing competitive golf there with his career great unknown. That's a pretty compelling story. And there's all these question marks over this entire sport and this particular golfer, you know, St. Andrews hosts this tournament every five years. You project down to 2027, you're going, who the hell knows what golf is going to look like at that point professionally? Who knows if Tiger is going to be at that? I mean, anytime you watch him, you go, I don't know how your body holds up for even one swing and walking one golf hole. How are you even doing this? You know, what does the future of all this stuff look like? There's so many questions you could be concentrating on as you're getting to Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday this week. And for me, you know, everybody's going to be different. Um, for me, the main thing is just like, all right, let's ride. Let's, <laughs> let's get this tournament on TV. And this week, I, I'm not going to have to worry about these questions or think about them. That's for another time. We got the open, we got the old course, we got a, a packed field and we don't have to worry about anything else for the week. You know, this is enough. That's kind of the feeling that I have because of all of these things I've discussed within this show and just the way that I think and the way that I want to think, that's kind of the place that I've arrived at for this particular tournament at this particular point in time. So I want to share one more thing uh, as a closer. And it's actually an excerpt of a poem that I've used in my writing before, most notably in uh, an essay that I wrote about college football. Um, it comes from Ada Lamone, and it's an excerpt from The Conditional. Uh, she's an incredibly talented writer that has really uh, beautiful sentiments tied into her work. This is one of my favorite poems as far as a theme that is described within it. So this is an excerpt from that. The Conditional by Ada Lamone. Say tomorrow doesn't come. Say the moon becomes an icy pit. Say the sweet gum tree is petrified. Say the sun's a foul black tire fire. Say the owl's eyes are pinpricks. Say the raccoon's a hot tar stain. Say the shirt's plastic ditch litter. Say the kitchen's a cow's corpse. Say we never get to see it. Bright future, stuck like a bum star, never coming close, never dazzling. Say we never meet her, never him. Say we spend our last moments staring at each other, hands knotted together, clutching the dog, watching the sky burn. Say it doesn't matter. Say that would be enough. Say you'd still want this. Us alive, right here, feeling lucky. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Remember, go and sign up for my newsletter. You just go to chrisrawl.com. You hit the subscribe button. Bam, voila, it's easy. Additional reminder, I I'm seeking out people who are very passionate and have really intense emotional connections with the world of sports in any way, shape, or form. I'm starting to get the technological means to record those interviews. Those will happen very soon. I want more people who to be a part of this kind of project uh, that will be released within this podcast channel. So if you are one of those people, if you know one of those people, send me an email, chris at ceo.com, or DM me on Twitter, at Chris Rawl, and we can set up a time to talk about that. Thank you. Enjoy your fine Tuesday, uh, and I'll be back on Friday to discuss whatever the hell I want. <laughs> Peace.